Well, good morning, everybody. How are you? Happy Independence Day week and uh, glad you're here. So excited about this series that we're doing called Ghost Stories. Um, and I uh, just wanted to say, if you haven't seen the last two weeks, uh, Jen and Myron set this up so beautifully. I've uh, done such a fantastic job. You have to go online or on the app and watch the last two weeks. They're fantastic. And they really set up what I'm going to talk about this week. You know, the reason I decided that we needed to do a series called Ghost Stories is because some of us have heard, heard stories about the Holy Spirit and it's kind of left a little, left you a little tentative, a little spooky. Um, and this is a non-spooky look at the Holy Spirit. Now, when I was growing up, I grew up right on the edge of the city limits, and we had this mountain behind our house. And uh, it, today it's a hill, but when I was 10 years old, it was truly a mountain. And uh, my friend Brian, who lived next door, we would pack up our backpacks with our sleeping bags and our tents, and we would take enough hot dogs to choke a lion. Uh, I mean, because hot dogs over the campfire, there's nothing better than a hot dog cooked on a stick over the campfire. So we would take lots and lots of hot dogs, and at least one six-pack of orange crushed soda, and we would get, climb to the top of the mountain, and we would set up our tent, and we would build this huge campfire, and we would cook our hot dogs, and we would eat our hot dogs and drink our soda, and we would just have the time of our lives, sort of, and then we would get into the tent at night, zip up the sleeping bags, and I would lay awake for hours listening to every noise that happened in the woods. And the reason I did that is because the older kids in the neighborhood, well, they told us stories about these wild dogs that roamed that mountain, right? I'm not sure that the wild dogs were real. In fact, I'm pretty sure they weren't, but they told us about the wild dogs and how they attacked hunters and hunters would shoot at them sometimes. And, and just like, you had to be careful if you were gonna be in the woods because there were wild dogs. And so I would lay awake at night in my tent petrified, the, the wild dog, every, you know, a crack or, you know, the leaf or whatever out in the woods, you'd hear a noise. That wild dog was going to come right through that tent and tear my face off. It was very petrifying, all right? And, and it kind of took away from the enjoyment of the camping experience, right? Now, the hot dogs were enticing enough to, to get us to go out, but, but it was not without its reservations. And I think for some of us, it's kind of that way with the Holy Spirit. You heard stories about the Holy Spirit, or you've seen things on television and, and you're like, yeah, I don't know about that. You've heard stories about people maybe babbling in languages that nobody understands and they seem to be out of control and you're like, I don't want to do that. Or maybe you've heard stories about people shouting or you've seen on television these super hyped up environments and you're like, wow, that's kind of feels a little bit out of control to me. Now, um, and, and, and you're like, I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm a tentative. I'll show up for church. But, you know, this whole Holy Spirit, because all is, you know, done in the name of the Holy Spirit. And, and we're going to kind of keep that at arm's length. And there's a little bit of fear there. And your experience with God is going to be different if you hold the Holy Spirit at arm's length. But many of us do because we've heard the stories, or we've, we've seen something, or grew up in a church that, that, that did that, or once attended a church that did that. Now, the kind of churches that typically have that more emotional experience, that more kind of, uh, you know, the things that I'm describing, tend to be Pentecostal churches. And I need to say right on the front end, uh, I, we are not a Pentecostal church. I tell people we are the most un-Pentecostal Pentecostal church that you'll ever be a part of. And, and what I mean by that is we believe fully that the Holy Spirit does everything that he did in the Bible today. He, he, he does. Uh, but we 
we don't share the same culture as Pentecostal churches. Now, I'm not against Pentecostal churches. In fact, I grew up, uh, my first memory of being in church was in a Pentecostal church. I was baptized in a Pentecostal church. Uh, I, I was born Catholic. We went to the Pentecostal church. I went to Christian, Christian Missionary Alliance church, and then a Baptist church, and then a non, non-denominational church. I am a spiritual mutt, right? I have experience in all of those camps. I'm a I'm a, um, a, a BAPTA Catholic Costal, I think, is exactly what I am. But at any rate, um, so I, I've got experience there. I love my Pentecostal brothers and sisters. I've got good friends who are Pentecostals. I have nothing against the Pentecostal church. But there's differences. There's differences in the environment and in the culture. And it's okay to acknowledge those as well. Pentecostal churches tend to, people tend to dress up for church. We don't really tend to dress up for church. Some of us do, but most of us don't. Uh, they either, I'm talking the women specifically, either wear a lot of makeup or no makeup at all, depending on the stream of Pentecostal church that you're, you're involved in. They tend to have a very emotional and expressive worship service. They tend to sing lots of songs, or at least a couple of songs for a really long time over and over and over and over again. They tend to uh, focus on the healing and the miraculous. Now, we believe in the healing and miraculous. We pray for it every week, but our focus is helping people find and follow God. And so there's some, some nuanced differences. Are you following me? No, not at all. Okay. So we're, we're not a Pentecostal church, but we're not against Pentecostal churches. We just acknowledge that there are differences. But I do believe a lot of the ghost stories that you've heard or the things that might scare you about the Holy Spirit kind of tie back to those, those more expressive uh, traditions of faith so, we're not a Pentecostal church, but we believe in Pentecost. And my question, and this actually today's sermon is a series of, of three questions. My question is, what the heck is Pentecost anyway? Because not everybody knows what that is. So, what is Pentecost? Well, let's unpack this. We're going to go on a little journey together. Are you ready? All right. All right. Just making sure. All right. So, what is it? What, what is Pentecost? Well, Pentecost is a Jewish festival that has been celebrated for thousands of years. It was celebrated for a thousand years before Jesus showed up. It was uh, when Moses went to the Pharaoh in Egypt. Well, actually, let me back up. There are three main feasts or festivals that the Jews would celebrate, and one of them was Pentecost. The first one is the Feast of Passover, and when Moses went to the Pharaoh in Egypt, when the Israelites had been in slavery for 400 years, God sent him, and he said, look, God says, let my people go. The Pharaoh said no. He liked his slaves, and so God sent a plague, and then Moses went back and said, look, I told you, God's not happy to let my people go. And he says, no. And this happens like nine times. That Pharaoh says, no. And finally, God's like, I'm going to get a little extreme, Moses. Here's what we're going to do. I am going to send the angel of death, and every firstborn male in the entire nation is going to die. But here's what I want you to do for the people of Israel. Have them sacrifice a lamb and put the blood of the lamb over their doors. And if you put the blood of the lamb over their doors, that will be a sign of the to the angel of death to pass over the house of the Israelites, and they'll be spared. So that's what happens. And it's at that point that Pharaoh is like, I'm in over my head. 
go, get out of here. And he sends the Israelites and, and won the freedom for the people of Israel. That is the festival of Passover. They celebrate it every year, and they remember their liberation. They remember God's wrath passing over. Now, the interesting part is, is that Jesus, when Jesus was crucified, it, it was during Passover. He rode the donkey into town on Sunday before Passover. That's lamb selection day. That's the day that they would pick their lamb to sacrifice. Jesus was crucified on Passover. He was the lamb. John the Baptist said, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He was talking about Jesus being the sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins so that God's wrath would pass over us. And if you're a follower of Jesus, if you put your faith in him, his blood is applied to the doorpost of our lives, and he passes over our sin. So that's Passover. Fifty days after, pa after the Sunday after Passover. So 50 days after the Sunday after Passover, they celebrate something called Pentecost, and it's a celebration of the giving of the law. All right? And it literally, the word Pentecost means 50. So, Penta, we've got the Pentagon in Washington, D.C. How many sides does it have? Five. Oh, you guys are sharp. Pentagram, how many side, or points does it have? Five. All right, come on, we can, we can do this. Let's wake up 9 30. All right. So, five, five sides. Penta, cost, meaning to the 10th power. 50. Pentecost. Not very scary, is it? It just means 50. And it's celebrated on the 50th day after the Sunday after Passover. All right? Jesus rose when? Rose from the dead on the Sunday after Passover. And then Pentecost happened 50 days later. Jesus spent 40 days with his disciples and then ascended into heaven, and the disciples went to Jerusalem and waited for 10 days and there's, God has a strategy to all of this as well. So that's what Pentecost means. Pentecost is a Jewish feast that's celebrated every year and has been for thousands of years. Pentecost means literally 50, right? But when Christians talk about Pentecost, we refer to that one that happened a little over 2,000 years ago when the disciples went to Jerusalem or were, stayed in Jerusalem and waited for the Holy Spirit. And we're going to look at what that what happened there today. So if you brought your Bibles, open up to Acts chapter 2. And um, Acts, it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the New Testament, and then the book of Acts. And this is the story of what happened with the early church. Now, the Christian event of Pentecost, when we talk about that one that we're referring back to that we're about to read about, this is such a big deal, not because it was Pentecost, but because something happened at that particular Pentecost that changed the world forever. The Jewish people had been waiting for that moment. They had been waiting for God to pour out his spirit on the people. Up to that point, as Jen said in, in week one of this series, the Holy Spirit had been given to specific people at specific times for specific purposes. So he would give, give the Holy Spirit uh, or, and empower somebody with the Holy Spirit to be a judge or to be a king or to be a priest or to be a prophet, and they would speak for God and lead the people of Israel. But he was not universally available to everyone. 
Now, the problem with that is that from the beginning, God designed human beings with this little space in our heart that the Holy Spirit is supposed to live in. Like we're supposed to be connected with God that way. It's almost like the compartment in a, in a toy that you put a battery into. Like it, it, without the battery, it's still a toy, but it's not fully alive. This is why when Jesus said, I've come to bring life in all of its fullness, this is what he was talking about. He came to usher in this age where everybody gets the Holy Spirit. And he lives inside of us and where we can be fully alive. That was the point. Jesus was like, I got to go. I'm going to die for the forgiveness of sins, which he did. But then I'm going to send the Spirit, and he's going to live inside of you. And there's prophets had written about this. Joel, the prophet, who we're going to read in just a moment. And um, um, Isaiah, or, um, Isaiah, the prophet, they'd written about this day that was coming where it was no longer going to be People trying to get to God through religion and works and ritual and all of these things. But God is going to live on the inside. And it's going to be, an, instead of an outside-in endeavor, which never really worked very well, it was going to be an inside-out with the power of God working inside of us. So when Christians refer to Pentecost, what we're talking about is there was a day when everything changed and it was Pentecost. There was a day where we went from an age without the Holy Spirit to the age of the Holy Spirit, where he's universally accept, uh, available to, to anyone who chooses to follow Christ. Pretty big deal. So when we talk about, so what is Pentecost? It's a Jewish feast. It means 50. But for us, as we talk about it, it is that specific Jewish feast that happened 50 days after Jesus rose from the dead and when the Spirit of God was poured out on people. Do you understand? Say yes. All right, good. I'm trying to be clear here. So what the heck happened at Pentecost? Why is this a big deal? Why are there ghost stories about it? Well, let's talk. Let's, let's read through it. If you, again, open up to Acts chapter 2 and verse 1. Jesus in Acts 1 had told his disciples, look, I'm leaving. You stay in Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit. There were about 120 of them, and they, they gathered in this upper room somewhere in Jerusalem, and they waited and they waited, and they waited, and the day of Pentecost came. They didn't know that anything was going to happen on that day. They were just waiting. They didn't even know what they were waiting for other than the Holy Spirit. They didn't know what to expect, what it was going to look like, any of that. They're just waiting in this room and praying together, and this is what it says. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Now, some translations say they were in one accord, which means God favors Hondas over Toyotas, which I'm just kidding. All right, that bad dad humor. All right. So they were all in that one place. They were in the upper room, and suddenly a sound like a blow, the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Now, I had an illustration planned for you all that I, I was told I can't do because they'll fill the place with carbon monoxide, but um, I got this back, backpack leaf blower. Anybody see these back? They're amazing. Like I, I shot Matt Parsons, our worship pastor, in the face, and his beard went up over his face. It was awesome. All right. So in their day, they didn't have motors. They didn't have electricity. They didn't have anything that would, no, no sounds like that. I mean, it was just human sounds and animal sounds. And this would have been a completely like other than in the middle of a storm, but there was no storm going on. And the room filled with a sound 
and it went out from the house and, and, uh, in, and into the community. And, and the reason for it is, well, there are a couple reasons, I think. One, the word for spirit in Hebrew and in Greek also means wind or breath. Okay, so the spirit is always or often associated with wind. And so I think there was that. But I think God was doing something for the disciples. He's turning the pages on history here, and he is giving them a very dramatic and undeniable sign that this is it. Because, you know, they'd never heard a leaf blower before, right? There's no storm going on, and yet there's this in the room, right? And that's going on. And they're going like, wow, this is real. What is, what is this? There's a third reason there was that, that noise, and that was this. God wanted to gather a crowd, and people show up. In fact, we, we read later in Acts chapter 2 that 3,000 people decided to follow Jesus that day. So there were at least 3,000 people there, probably a lot more than that. God was drawing a crowd together because nobody had really ever heard a sound like that outside of a thunderstorm. All right, and then verse 3, it says, They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All right, never seen that before. Anybody ever seen that? I don't, I, 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 one thing I want to say is these two manifestations or these two, two things, I've never heard of these happening since. They may have, but it's not common knowledge. Never heard of anybody getting, but like a little campfire without the wood over your head. I'm looking around. I'm not seeing any, right? So, again, this is a sign to them. They can look around the room and see one another and go, okay, I think this is it. Because then it says, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. They're all filled with the Holy Spirit. God is giving them, and this isn't just like a spiritual experience that they're going to walk away from and go, man, did that really happen? No, this is, this is, this is a new age. This is the beginning of something amazing. And God didn't want them to ever doubt it or mistake it. And he, so he, he has these, these physical manifestations of, of, look, we're up to something big here. So they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, if you were, tongues can be a hang-up for people, and if you took the word tongues out, you could just say other languages. And we know from the context of this passage that they were speaking in languages that other people spoke. Now, they didn't know those languages, and that was kind of the miraculous part of this. All right? It says, now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. God was up to something. Pentecost was a big deal. It was a big feast. People would travel from all over Israel, but all over the known world to Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost. And so there were people who could speak these other languages in Jerusalem, just happened to be there on Pentecost. And as these guys begin to speak in other languages, these people were hearing them and understanding them. All right? It's another miraculous sign to confirm what God is up to. It says, when they heard this sound sound of the wind and the sound of people speaking in their languages, the crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these people 
who are speaking Galileans. Let me interpret that for you. Galileans were hillbillies. They were the people, they were uh, uneducated, they lived in the hills, they had an accent, and people could pick them out from a mile away because they talk like hillbillies, and they are not multilingual. How on earth are they speaking all of these languages? And everybody's hearing them in their language. Then, how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? God's setting this whole thing up. Everything from this happening on the day of Pentecost so that there are people there to hear those languages, so that it's, it's confirmed to the wind, to the, um, to the speaking in the foreign languages, to the, the, the fire resting on the, the disciples' head. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Great question, and Peter is about to answer that for them. But before he does, they're being accused of, of being drunk. You know, this is this, this ruckus, this, this what's going on in the streets of Jerusalem. And, and, and the people who are from Jerusalem and Israel, they don't know all these languages. And so they accuse them of being drunk. And Peter says this, this is some, or it says, some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven and raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem who don't understand these other languages, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. We're not getting drunk at nine o'clock in the morning. So, no, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And then he goes back, and he, this is what we're all waiting for, guys. Because the prophet Joel had written about a time where it was no longer going to be outside in trying to get God in, but God is going to take up residence in, and our faith is going to be a relationship with God, and it's going to be an inside-out thing. And God's Spirit is going to be given to everyone. And so he read, or he, I don't know if he reads it or if he had it memorized, but he shares what Joel said. In the last days, God says, sometimes people can get caught up on the, this, that expression, the last days. The last days started with this event. We continue to live in the last days, if you have any, any questions or concerns about that. We live in the last days. It'd be, this age of the Spirit is the last days. And he says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on who? All people. Right, right, right. This is what's going on, guys. Your sons and daughter, daughters will prophesy. In other words, your sons and daughters will hear from God. It's not just going to be specific people who are prophets who will hear God's voice, but your sons and daughters, all of us are going to be able to hear God in our hearts. Your young men will see visions. Sometimes God speaks to some people through pictures and visions, and God's going to speak to you that way. Your old men will dream dreams. Sometimes God speaks to us in our dreams. Now, not every dream you have is from God. I just want to be clear. Sometimes it's, you know, it's the pizza you had the night before. But, but sometimes God does speak to us through our dreams, and it's His Spirit speaking into our hearts while we sleep. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my Spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. Now, that was a huge deal because women were not not equal with men in their culture, in their society, or in their religion. 
There was a separate place for women at the temple. There was, they were removed. And Jesus shows up, and he includes women. He gives women equal footing. And the prophet Joel wrote about, in the last days, God's going to pour out his spirit on both men and women. It's, he's going to level the playing field. We live in a pretty amazing time. But don't miss the point. God poured out his spirit on anyone who would accept his son. He poured out his spirit on anyone who would turn to Jesus and place their faith in him and what he did on the cross, that their sins would be forgiven. And then his spirit could come and live in their hearts. We crossed a line in history at Pentecost 2,000 years ago. A new age dawned, and we live in that age now, an age where God guides us personally from the inside, where he comes into our hearts and he is a counselor and an advocate, where he comes alongside of us and he helps us navigate the difficulties of life. He's a comforter. He brings comfort. He, brings, he teaches us what's right and what's wrong. Like we have God on the inside. And guys, God on the inside is so much better than God on the outside. This is why Jesus said, it's better that I go because I'm going to send the advocate, the counselor, the spirit. He's going to live inside of you. And he teaches us and he guides us and he speaks to us. And he pours God's love into our hearts. In Romans 5, verse 5, the apostle Paul said, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The Holy Spirit pours. In fact, one of the most common experiences people have with the Holy Spirit is to just feel the overwhelming peace and love of God. He pours his love. I mean, it's amazing. Like, we know that God loves us. He satisfies our souls. Jesus, when he talked, even early on in his ministry, he talked about being the living water and the bread of life. He, he would quench the thirst of our souls. He would satisfy the hunger in our hearts. That hunger and that thirst are come when God is not in our hearts, in, our, in that place that he created for himself in us when he designed us. Guys, this was the turning point. Now, in these last days, in this age of the Spirit, God gives us power for living. In Acts 1, 8, Jesus is getting ready to leave, and he tells his disciples, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. In other words, God's going to give you power to help people find and follow me. He's going to, he's going to, and, and so that's what they're experiencing at Pentecost, right? They're speaking in these foreign languages. They're, they're making a connection. That's, the, the wind is blowing. God is showing up, and, and people are being drawn to him. Power for sharing the gospel. Sometimes that power is just a peace that passes understanding as you go through something difficult in your life, and everybody around you at work and your family looks at you and goes, how are you holding it together? And you get to say, well, I've got this comfort and this peace that passes understanding because I know that God has got it and he's in, in me and he's, he's helping me through it. And maybe it's a word that's spoken. You know, I was having uh, lunch with a friend 
several years back, and we were talking about something completely, some of business interest or something. And as the conversation was trailing off in that direction, I heard uh, in my, just in my mind, it wasn't audible or anything, but just, he's having an affair. I'm like, oh, come on. And I kind of pushed it away, and I heard it again. And so finally, as the conversation trailed off, I said, I, I looked at him, and I said, so how's your marriage? <laughs> and he looked at me, and he said, oh, you know, it's, it's, it's good. Well, we, we've got our struggles, but it, I'm like, you, are you being faithful to your wife? And he looked at me, and he turned white as a ghost. And he said, how did you know? I said, well, I don't know that I knew, but I just I, I felt compelled to ask. And we had a conversation, and we were able to really redirect his direction a little bit. And the Spirit will speak to us sometimes, give you a word, and you're just like, wow, okay. Sometimes it's a word of encouragement to somebody. Usually that's, that's what it is. And you're like, you know what? God sees you. He hears you. Whatever it is. And he speaks to us. And he gives us power to help people find him and follow him. We live in the age of the Spirit where we can have eternal life now. And we've talked about this a bunch recently. But eternal life isn't just life when we die it's life in all of its fullness right now. It's life connected with eternity, connected, and that's through the Holy Spirit. We talk about having a relationship with God. It's through His Spirit that we have a relationship with God. Jesus said, I've come to bring life in all of its fullness. And this is what He was talking about. God on the inside, better than God on the outside. God on the inside, filling the empty, and giving us life, giving us power, giving us direction, giving us peace, pouring God's love into our hearts. And Apostle Paul captured this in Romans chapter 8, verse 11. He said, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. All right? We've established that, right? He lives in you. Just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. Our mortal bodies have life. We have life in all of its fullness, this side of heaven. None of that was available before. None of that was available before. And that brings me to question number three. Can I experience the Holy Spirit now? Can I experience the Holy Spirit now? And the short answer to that question is yes, absolutely. Absolutely, we live in the age of the Spirit. We live in the last days. This is what Jesus died for, not just to get us into heaven, certainly that, but so that we can live with God on the inside. That's the short answer. But what I want to do is I want to take us through a few scriptures that just show that that's true. In Acts 4, or Acts 1, it says, On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Jesus is eating with his disciples. This is after his resurrection. He says, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised. Now, very clearly, you're about to see in a second, the gift is the Holy Spirit, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, 
but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. The word baptism, as we've discussed, means to be immersed in. You'll be immersed in the Holy Spirit. You'll be full of the Holy Spirit. That's the gift. Jesus talked at one point about how, as earthly fathers, we know how to give good gifts to our children. How much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? He's the gift. He's the promise. He's referred to as those things. Now, if you've got your Bible, flip over a page to Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. It says, this is Peter's reply to them saying, what must we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of, of your sins. In other words, you're all walking away from Jesus. Repent means to turn 180 degrees and walk toward him. Turn from the things in your life that you know are wrong and walk toward Jesus. Place your faith in him. Become a follower of his. His blood from, uh, from the cross is applied to the doorpost of your life. The wrath of God passes over. All is forgiven. You get a brand new start with God, and the Holy Spirit will come and live inside of you. And that's what he says. I'll start from the beginning. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift, there it is again, the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. The promise is for you. This is for you, but it's not just for you. Your kids, next generation, it's for them too. And then for all who are far off, it is for every generation after that. This is, this is for all of us. We live in the age of the Spirit. He has not stopped doing what he d did in the Bible. And can, to the question, can you experience him now? Absolutely, yes, you can. And in fact, I would suggest that's a big part of the point. Like, if all you're looking for is a, you know, a belief system and a ticket to heaven, you're missing out on the experience of God in your life right now. And you don't want to miss out on that. I don't know about you, but who's got time <laughs> to not experience God in our life, to be led by God, to be comforted by God, to have the peace of God, all of that. You can be filled with the Holy Spirit today. You can experience the Holy Spirit today. But there are some obstacles. One of them is fear. One of them is, I heard ghost stories, or I saw some things, and I don't know, I'm not terribly comfortable with all of that. And kind of like going camping on the mountain behind my house, you know, it's like, well, I'm here, but I'm kind of holding it all at bay. And we kind of hold the Holy Spirit at, at bay because we're afraid we're going to lose control. Listen to me, the Holy Spirit does not make you lose control. It does not. It's not a, he does not do that. Or you're afraid that he's going to make you weird. Listen to me. I think Jen said this week one, the Holy Spirit doesn't make you weird. Weird people use the Holy Spirit as an excuse to get weirder. Don't do that. Don't do that. He does not make, he makes us alive. He enables us to love. He puts good things inside of us. Some of us are afraid, well, you know, if we start talking about the Holy Spirit, because we've heard stories, we've seen whatever, it's going to get weird and somebody's going to stand over you with a tambourine and shake it. We've outlawed tambourines in church. It's all right. Actually, you have to get a license. You have to go through a class. And I'm just kidding. All right. So 
But fear, fear causes us to hold him at bay. Kind of like, well, whatever. You know what else does? Bad theology. Some of us have been taught that all this stopped when the Bible was written and that the Holy Spirit doesn't really do a whole lot anymore. He's just kind of part of the Trinity, but we don't really see him so much. Not true. And I don't have time beyond what I've already done to unpack that, but he is alive and well and moving. And I can tell you from personal experience and the personal experience of billions of Christians that the Holy Spirit lives in our hearts. He is alive and well and moving in our world. The third obstacle is ignorance. And when I say ignorance, what I mean is we just don't know. We just don't know about them. You know, nobody's ever really talked about them. The, uh, in the Ephesians, Paul, the Apostle Paul shows up. Somebody had already been there and led a bunch of people to Jesus, and they were baptized, and they had a church going, and Paul shows up, and he looks around, and he's like, something's missing here. And in uh, Acts 19.2, he says this. He said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now, they had received the Holy Spirit when they believed because Peter said in Acts 2.38 that if you repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, you will receive the Holy Spirit. Every one of us, when we come to faith in Jesus, receive the Holy Spirit. All right? That's just kind of part of the deal. He comes and lives in our hearts. So if you're a follower of Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. But Paul's like, did you receive the Holy Spirit? So he's like, did you get any of the, like, the experience of the Holy Spirit when you believed? Is basically what he's saying. Have you received the Holy Spirit? And they were like, we didn't even know. They answered, no, we, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Nobody said anything about a Holy Spirit. They were just ignorant. They didn't know. And some of us are in that boat. So we've got fear is a, is a block. Bad theology is a block, bad teaching. Ignorance can be a block to experiencing the Holy Spirit. He was meant not just to be an idea, but to be resident in our lives, leading us, speaking to us, comforting us, guiding us, empowering us. So let me ask you this. Have you received the Holy Spirit? I heard a great story the other day that illustrates this so beautifully. There was a, a guy whose who's mother-in-law, because of life circumstances, had to come live at his house. And so he wasn't excited about it, you know. I mean, mother-in-law was fine, but whatever. And, um, and so Ma, she moves in, and it had been a couple months, and he goes out to dinner with a friend, and his friend is like, so, how's it going with your mother-in-law? Well, it's all right. Have you received your mother-in-law? And he goes, well, you know, she's living under my roof. She's eating my food. <laughs> she sits at the dining room table with us. Yeah, you know, I, I guess. And his friend stopped and paused and said, no, no. Have you received your mother-in-law? Have you welcomed her into your home? Have you, not just allowing her to be there, but have you welcomed her in? Have you received her? And so that is what I want to ask you. Have you received the Holy Spirit or have you allowed fear or ignorance or bad teaching 
dissuade you from experiencing him in your life today. See, I want you to fully experience God's presence and his love and his power in your life. It's what the Christian life is all about. I don't want you to partially receive him. You have nothing to fear from the Spirit of God. And you have everything to gain. Don't let the stories keep you away or keep him at arm's length. There's nothing to fear. Everything to gain. God's power. God's peace. The fruit of God's Spirit. In Galatians 5, Paul says, look, when the Spirit comes and lives inside of you, he produces in you the character traits. That it's the person you want to be. It's, he produces it from the inside out. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When we fully welcome the Spirit, He starts doing this internal work in our hearts and transforms our lives from the inside out. He's our comforter, our guide, and our teacher. And he fills us with God's love, which is the most common experience that people have when they experience the Holy Spirit. So let me ask you again, have you received the Holy Spirit? Have you welcomed him with open arms? Have you invited him? Do you continue to invite him? Let's stand. There are some of us here today that you're checking church out and you're like, this is a great Sunday for you to be here, by the way. But you haven't even made the decision to follow Jesus yet. And your next step is to repent, to turn from the direction you're going and follow Jesus and to place your faith in him. And as you do, your sins are forgiven and the Holy Spirit will come and live in your heart. And for a lot of us, your next step is to say, Lord, I receive you. I don't want to do this halfway anymore. I don't want to hold you at, at a distance. I want to invite you in. And I want to embrace you. And I want to welcome you. And I want all that you have for me. And if you've never done that before, I want to invite you to do that today. Let's close our eyes. Bow our heads. I encourage you just... Uh, if you're comfortable, just reach out like you're receiving a gift from God. And if you're not a believer yet, if you're not a follower of Jesus, ask him to come into your life and place your faith in him today. And if you are, invite the Holy Spirit to fill you. And invite him into all aspects of your life. Embrace him. Receive him today. Holy Spirit, we know that you're here, but I ask that you would come in such a powerful way, Lord, that you would make, make it just evident, your presence evident to us today. Lord, I pray that you would fill every person here. Lord, that you would continue to fill us. And Lord, where there are obstacles, would you tear down the obstacles? Would you replace the fear, Lord, with anticipation of your presence in our lives? 
God, that we wouldn't live powerless lives, but we would live empowered lives. That we wouldn't live lives that, that, that just are an idea about God, but God, Lord, that you would be alive inside of us. Holy Spirit, come and fill us. As we sing this song, Lord, minister to each person here. In Jesus' name.